This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. So Tom, it's happening then. We're starting a cycling club. Geraint, I am officially excited, but how is this going to work? Because you're one of the world's best cyclists. I'm Tom Fordyce. I'm very much not one of the world's best cyclists. <laughs> so how do you and me get to be in the same club? Well, I think, you know, it'd just be open to everyone. It's a club for, for everyone, big, small, young, old. I think uh, some things that stand out to me. We need a good coffee stop. I think every club needs that. Cycling jersey. We need a good jersey. Definitely. Bit of merch. And uh, yeah, a few group rides because, well, if you're a cycling club and you don't cycle, it's uh, quite key, you know? This sounds good. We probably need a financial backer as well, don't we? Like just someone to get us up and running. So I've had a word with Zwift, who I know you like, I like, indoor cycling app, and they're going uh, to help us out. How does that sound? Quality. Yeah, I think that'll work well for the group rides as well because, uh, well, I'm really in the UK anyway, so it might be a bit of a issue flying the whole club up to France every week for a... A jaunt. It would be nice, but it's not massively practical, is it? <laughs> not, not really. So, yeah, quality, Zwift, that'll, uh, that'll work really well. Okay, so day one of our club, how about you get entry into the club if you listen to an episode of this podcast? That's it. Like That's your subscription. That's your entry fee. We take it from there. Perfect. I, I like the sounds of that, but it needs to be well run, though, Tom. It can't just be, you know, it needs to be slick and efficient. Yeah, how are we going to do that? Well, <laughs> bearing in mind that it's you and me at the moment, it's probably you or me running it. And you're going to say you're busy because you're an elite road cyclist who's out on your bike all the time, aren't you? So it's going to end up being me, isn't it? 100%. I think it's definitely got to be you, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll agree to temporarily take charge of the club until we get someone a bit better. If, in return, you do the insight. So you tell us everything that goes on in pro cycling. You give us all the secrets, the best stories, the inside chat, all the stuff basically, that people like me ride our bike for fun. All the stuff that we want to know. Deal. Yeah, I'll bring the chat and a few guests and you organise everything else. I'm slightly worried by this everything else. <laughs> Sounds like a massive amount. I'll tell you what we'll do. End of each episode, we'll have a proper meeting for all our club members. I'll chair it. We'll call it Club Business. A bit like a newsletter for our members. Though. Maybe we should have one of those as well. And we want input from our members, won't we? So if people get in touch with us on Facebook, search at gtcc underscore on twitter and we're gt cycling club on instagram maybe people can let us know what they'd like episodes on cracking yeah good start very good start yeah we just need some people now okay so we'll grow this club should we get on with our first show let's crack on let's be having it so g i've made an executive decision here i hope you'll be all right with it i would like our first topic to be climbing sound i'm all in for that climbing is well where it's at in it really it's the biggest test in cycling pretty much for everyone good choice climbs what we look forward to aren't they like when i go out with my mates or i go out for a little spin by myself it's the climbs that i end up talking about it's the climbs that you like to measure yourself on yeah it's just you know it's the ultimate test in it really especially if it's a tough climb and you know it's going to be a hard day and then you do it and it's a sense of achievement of doing it and then also you get to go down as well which is always good isn't it so it's hard and it's sort of like you dread it at times. But then I think once you've done it, that sense of accomplishment makes it all worthwhile, really. You want something to be a challenge. And then once you do it and you tick it off, especially when you do it with the boys and or girls, you know, you do it as a group and just getting up to, you know, if you do a loop and you're doing like X amount of Ks and then this many climbs and it's just that challenge and you're all in it together, you're all encouraging or sticking the knife in, you know, to a few of the boys. <laughs> father-in-law or whoever you know that's that's what it's all about the lovely thing about climbs as well is that they all do come to an end at some point don't they even if you're in like a whole world of horrific pain and you feel like you're barely turning the pedals and the road's just going up like a horrible ramp in front of you there will be a point later that day where you're going yeah i did it yeah for sure unless you don't unless yeah. you just stop <laughs> then you've got to walk it which is even worse because yeah. you're walking up a hill in cleats pushing a bike but yeah that's so true you know it's like an extra 10 minutes of pain to the top and then you know that satisfaction lasts until the time you, you know you go to the pub then and you'd be like oh yeah i did you know the backside of kafili mountain out of kafili which is like 
brutal, you know, steep. It's been in the Tour of Britain a few times. It's just like, yeah, I went up that, I went up that today, and then I went back down, and I did like another loop, and you know, it's just uh, it's certainly a talking point rather than just, oh yeah, I just did, a, I went out in the lanes for a bit. <laughs> I think as well, you know, when you meet someone who's a cyclist and you see them, they might rock up for a group ride, or they might, you might be introduced them through a mate. They might be giving it the large one about how good they are, and they might rock up on a, like a really nice bike and really nice gear. But you always withhold judgment about them, don't you, until you've seen them on a climb. It's like, this is where we're going to find out what you're like. Yeah, if that bike was really worth it. Have you spent five grand for no reason? (laughs) And the other thing we get as cyclists, you love your rugby. I know you have been on the pitch at rugby stadiums, but mainly because you've won big cycling races and you get to come Mm. on and wave to the crowd before a big international at the Principality. But you're never going to play rugby at the Principality. I'm never going to... Well, don't rule it out, Tom. You never know. You're going to stick some weight on, are you? You never know. I was going to get all big, you know, a couple (laughs) of winters time. But no, I'm not, am I? No. You're not going to play at the Principality. I'm not going no. to bat at Lords. Realistically, we're probably neither of us are going to play football at Wembley. But if you're a cyclist, as an amateur, you can ride all the climbs that you, Geraint, as a professional ride. This is this beautiful thing. We can ride Alpduez. You've won an Alpduez. We can ride up it, albeit yeah. a lot more slowly. But we can do the same, go through the same punishment that you went through. Yeah, that's the beauty of the sport, isn't it? I think even for me as a pro, you know, it's the thought of riding up these climbs that the legends of of the past as well you know Merckx and we we still ride up there thinking oh yeah this is what they did back in the day or you know in Belgium like especially those who roads that haven't been tarmac you know they're cobbles that have been there for hundreds of years and we're racing up these climbs that you know Museo and you know guys before that have been battling up so yeah even for us pros it's, it's the same sort of sense of like oh yeah these are the roads that they've done it on and like people that we've looked up to and yeah that's what's so unique about cycling like you say you can't just rock up and score a try at the principality but you can ride up Alpe d'Huez and okay albeit quite a bit slower but you know you can do it one day and then you can watch the race the next it's just um for all for free what would what do you think would happen if someone let's say you were suddenly dropped into a rugby international at the principality right we'll assume what position are you playing wing probably yes most definitely yeah <laughs> right <laughs> if you got the ball I mean would you actually snap do you think if you were tackled oh I'd break 100% I'd break like, I'm pretty brittle anyway because I had my bone density <laughs> done, you know, every winter and it's low. I think because we don't have any weight bearing on our bones, really. You know, we're just sat on a bike pedaling and we rarely walk. We we definitely don't run. You might do two runs in the off season, but I couldn't this last season because I had a dodgy pelvis. So 100% I would break. But saying that, I'd back myself. I'd get around like George North or someone, you know. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge we're going to fulfil in a future pod. Listen, I'm totally convinced now about this as a topic for our first episode. But before we dive in, I'm just going to plant a little seed in your head. And at the end of this episode, I'm going to ask you for your answer. The question that I'm going to ask you is this. If you had one climb to give to your mortal enemy and they've got to ride it for eternity, for the rest of eternity, what would that climb be? So just let that little seed germinate. And when we get to the end of the episode, you give me the answer. Hello, um, hello there. What voice do you want me to do? We're all doing a little bit. I'll just do my voice. Do your voice. Yeah, thanks. Hello, I'm Joe Marler. People think I hate people, but I don't. (laughs) I actually love interaction with people. I love finding out what jobs they do and whether I could do what they do. The Joe Marler Show. Joe Marler Show. With new episodes every Wednesday. Gee, I've got good news. We've got another sponsor. Our friends at Amp Human are on board. Now, they're a human performance company dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential. So even amateurs like me. Amp's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, I know this sounds a bit fancy, but you've been using this PR Lotion for the last two years, haven't you? What's it like? Yeah, I like it. It's obviously, I use it for any hard session, really, or on Zwift, uh, in time trials as well. You just lather up in it, basically, whichever muscles you're using. Yeah, and it just gives you that bit of a buffer, and it, I definitely feel it sort of helps me. 
Well, there's also 40 years of data showing bicarb's ability to buffer acid as it builds up in muscle during exercise. Studies show a 50% reduction in muscle soreness when using PR lotion. And even better, Amp Human is giving our listeners 25% off their next purchase using the code GTCC and then the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. Right, those were the ads. Now it's time to introduce our first guest. Now, Tom, you asked me to sort out the best climber I could find. I wanted Chris Froome, but I couldn't get him, so we'll have to make do with Richie Port. So, welcome, Richie. Thanks for having me, G. You're the first choice. I'm only joking. Thanks, mate. (laughs) Right, you two. What I want to know is, when you're riding those big climbs and it's a big stage race or a big one-day race, take us into that moment. So, we've all seen it on TV the crowds are parting in front of you like it's a dead sea. There's noise, there's smoke, there's flares. What's it actually like to ride? Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? I think um, I think that parting of the crowds is what you grow up watching. Like, that's what I remember of the tour when I was like, you know, 10, 12. When you finally do that for the first time, there's no better feeling. And especially when you're in front. The first few years I did it in the in the back group, in the Gruppetto, whereas Richie's sort of been more or less in the front his whole career on the climb. So... But yeah, it's it's an incredible feeling, really. I think probably Richie might not like it as much because um, I don't know if you remember Tom, but at the t- Von Two, maybe when was it, Richie? Twenty six, seventeen? Sixteen. Sixteen. Well, you can you can tell him what happened, right? Yeah, I mean, it was Froomey, Balka, and, and I. Uh, next thing, or as they say in Australia, neck minute, there was a motorbike just stopped dead in front of us. We just we all just had a big stacks on on, on the Von too. It was uh, unbelievable that something like that happens, you know, in this day and age. You were the first into the back of the bike as well, weren't you? From what I remember, yeah. it was a TV bike as well, so it was, it was a great shot. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and then that's when Froomey ended up running. You know, when he did this like he wasn't a natural runner, was he? That was my takeaway from that. No, he pulled up lame the next day. I think just, uh, <laughs> spanked everyone in the time trial. But- no, it's just a. It's one of those weird things, wasn't it? You know, it's like just uh, you know, the the crowds were just out of control. Like, I mean, they'd all been up there drinking for for you know twenty four hours or something. It seemed like it, and uh, yeah, it was just a an insane day. I mean, how the hell does that happen on, on the top of Von Two? You know, a, a motorbike just stops. And and to be fair, like this year with the whole COVID thing, and and them being a bit more careful with the crowds, it's actually been much more enjoyable without you know the the token idiots running along beside you with, you know, with the flags that then end up in your front wheel and stuff. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we, G? Like, just gets a bit rowdy. It's kind of nice with the the whole COVID protocol. Yeah, I didn't actually get a chance to experience that because I crashed out of the Giro before I did any proper climbing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I can see where you're coming from there. But at the same time, I think there's nothing better than that crazy crowd riding through it. But only if it's safe obviously like could you imagine Wembley somebody about to take a free kick and then like I don't know some guy just runs and just kicks the ball away and you know (laughs) got to play on from that you know it's kind of it's just mad and in cycling it's so much more variables and you know the crowds can actually affect the race like that you know obviously took down Armstrong back in the day up where was it Luzardinen or somewhere yeah Nibali up up, uh, Alp Duez actually when I won he hit a spectator Actually, that's a that is that's like a pub in Cardiff on a Friday night, isn't it? Up there. <laughs> yeah, you got the Irish corner, the Dutch corner. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Just, it's just mayhem. When you're riding through those corners, what can you hear? Is it just is it almost too much noise? Like, let's say there's someone running alongside you who's actually trying to encourage you, and they're shouting, "Come on, Richie!" or "Come on, G!" Can you hear that? Yeah, but. It's, it doesn't really help anything, does it? You know, it's just like I don't mind it. I think it's weird though. I can always pick up the British accents. You know, it could be crazy noise, and you still hear like you know a Yorkshireman, and then ten meters later, like a you know a Southerner or something. It's mad, really, how you can still hear that. Like I remember when we uh, back in 2018, I was trying to tell Egan to just calm down a bit, just you know steady, but I was just had to scream literally as loud as I could shout so he could hear me. It was just that sort of loud so um it's incredible to ride in as long as obviously doesn't affect the race too much what's the pain like on those climbs 
Because the, the strange thing about climbs from an amateur rider's perspective is that the things you sort of dread the most because it's where you're going to suffer, but they're also the things you enjoy the most. Like if you go out for a, for a couple of hours and in the, it's in the lanes and it's flat, you don't go back and tell your mates about it. But if you go out in the mountains, you take on some proper horrible climbs and you're just, you're full of climb chat all night. So do you, can you enjoy that level of pain or is it just horrible? Oh, I, I don't know. I'd probably speak for the both of us at the moment, geez. Like when we're coming back from the off season and, you know, quite a few kilos too heavy, you suffer like an absolute pig. And I don't understand why you get amateurs who, you know, on their holidays go and ride up these, <laughs> you know, coals and so it just it just it doesn't look enjoyable to me. So you kinda of have to tip your hat a little bit to the you know, the the guys that ride up these mountains that in the middle of summer and then it's, you know, can be snowing up there, they've got no jackets, they run out of water and everything. I just don't understand that being a professional, like how they enjoy it. Yeah, you say that, but my first two rides back training, mate, you took me up in my dome both times. <laughs> so <laughs> I think maybe just wanted me to suffer. Yeah, exactly. Try and get a little bit back on G before we're teammates, <laughs> yeah. We started the rides. We were with um, Stephen Kreuzweig as well. I think that's how you say it. Kreuzweig? No one knows how to say his name. There's yeah. 18 different versions of his name. He won't be listening anyway, so it's fine. But um, yeah, we started and oh man, that was like, I don't know, we were only doing 350 max. But I was just sat, sat next to him just suffering away like first ride back after six weeks off and whatever. Oh my God. And like, I think we only did about three hours, 45 or something. I was in a box after that. <laughs> thanks to Richie Richie made the route obviously <laughs> but I also find some of those guys unprofessional because they turn up and it looks like they haven't stopped riding the whole off season whereas G and I you know we, we you know stretch our jeans don't we so it looks like <laughs> someone's dropped a hand grenade down some of my jeans after the off, <laughs> off season you know, like, and that's the way it should be you just get proper fat I'm picturing something completely different when you say that, mate. <laughs> uh, that's because your mind's in the gutter, G. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's true. Like the off season to me is kind of like even if I'm not hungry, I'm like, oh well, it's one thirty, it's lunchtime, isn't it? May as well have a burger, and then you're like, oh well, may as well have a beer with it. It is the off season. Yeah, that's the hard bit, really. But you know, it, the, the initial sort of coming back is hard, especially when you're riding around, you know, south of France when there's no flat really at all, is there? But yeah, it, it's all worth it in the end. Do you suffer? As pro riders, do you suffer less than us lot because you're fitter? Do you suffer more because you're racing and most of us are just getting up? Or are we all just suffering the same? It's just you're suffering faster. Uh, I think we'd probably suffer the same, except we just suffer at a quicker speed. But I think psychologically, you guys have it tougher because a half an hour climb for us, like for my father-in-law, is two hours, you know. And uh, <laughs> he'll definitely be listening, so I'm glad I said that. But yeah, it's just... I think, like, even for me as a professional, you know, when I started out in 2007, eight, I was, yeah, back group, just on my hands and knees, you know, couldn't go any faster. And I was suffering, and it just meant I was on my bike a bit longer every day. Whereas now, I'm still suffering, I'm still going as fast as I can, but I'm just happened to be at the front, and yeah, I finish half an hour quicker than most, well, the guys in the back group, but I'm still on my hands and knees when I finish. So, yeah, I think it's, everybody suffers, but it's like, like we were saying earlier, it's the challenge though, isn't it, Richie? Like, it's just... You know, when you head out and you're doing a big, like, six-hour and you're, like, ride and you're in the mountains, you're like, oh, we're going to do this climb, then that call. And it is actually, you, you do kind of look forward to it in a bit of a sadistic way. I always find those kilometre markers kind of can do your head in too. You know, it's like you're, you're absolutely on the on the limit and then you see, like, seven kilometres to go and, you know, you do the maths in your head and it's like that's, you know, a good maybe 20 minutes of, of suffering left to do and that, Climbing is a mental game, is it? That can get the better of you sometimes. That is the main thing, yeah. Is you can be sat there, like if you're on the front or if your team's on the front, you can suffer easier almost. But when it's another team dishing it out to you, it's definitely harder to take, isn't it? It's like, even if you're going to set that exact same pace, it's still like, oh, this is niggly. Like, how's that? You're looking at the front. How's that guy doing it? He's normally like gone before now. But so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a mind game more than anything i think especially when it's like a big guy like luke rowe or ian stannard you know on their good days you know you get those massive guys and that you know they ride a a pace that's just it's not a normal kind of climber's pace or power so it's just a bit niggly 
and that does do your head in as well. I love the way you, you refer to Luke Rowe as if he's like a prop forward or something. Like for, for people who haven't seen Luke in the flesh, if you met him down the pub and you were introduced him as someone's mate, you'd think someone's got a really skinny mate. Like Luke is not a big guy in the standards of ordinary big guys. We should say that. He's not, no, but when you stand him next to Richie and the Colombians, he looks absolutely <laughs> massive. So, like, like, what is your race weight, Richie? Like, uh, like 58, 59. And your height, Richie, so people can get an idea of how skinny uh, you are? Like, like 171. What's that, like 5'7", I think? So, G, your, what would your peak, your, your ideal weight be in the mountains? And what would your weight be? Let's say you were like an averagely fit bloke in Cardiff rather than an elite road rider who's got an ordinary job, but you ride your bike at weekends, how much would you weigh? For I reckon I'd easily be mid-70s. Let's say 73 okay, to 75. So yeah. Kilograms. Okay. And when you ride a Grand Tour, you weigh how much? 68. Okay. Why is that difference so critical? For it's massive, really, when you think, you know, you're going uphill for two hours a day uh, in a Grand Tour. So you need to be light. And yeah, while well, your power to weight needs to be good. So you still need to be able to do good power. So... In cycling, we measure sort of how much force we're doing through our legs, basically, in watts, which is like the power you're putting out. So, for instance, a guy at 80 kilos riding at 400 watts, his watts per kilo is five. So it's basically watts divided by kilos, five. I hope that's right, but that's what I think it is. <laughs> but then if you're 70 you're and you're doing 400 watts, your watts per kilo is like... 5.7 5.8 which doesn't seem a lot but then i actually messaged him just a couple of hours ago asking him if you rode up albuquerque at five watts per kilo and then at six watts per kilo how much quicker would you go and he said eight minutes so i thought it'd probably be a bit bigger to be honest but when you think it takes 40 minutes to go up albuquerque eight minutes is well it's a big chunk of that isn't it that's forever isn't it like if you were eight minutes is you out of a race Eight minutes is you just Yeah, that's nowhere. just not even in GC at all. So, yeah, thanks for coming. So, yeah, weight weight is definitely a big thing. I was saying that, you know, like Richie, for instance, he said he was 58, 59, but he wouldn't ride at 400. And hopefully you'll never be able to... Well, in 2021, <laughs> when he's in the same team as me, if he can ride at 400, then great. But I'm glad he hasn't been able to do that so far. Because then his watts per kilo would just be crazy, you know, and... Like anyone could do a big watts per kilo for 30 odd seconds, but it's more when you're going up and up, up a climb for 30, 40 minutes. That's where it makes the the big difference. Richie, how hard is it to get to your fighting weight? Because G's told me stories about ordering steamed fish and, and spinach at a point where Sarah's, his wife, is having a nice steak and chips. Yeah, I, I mean, it's probably for me the hardest thing, you know? It's like me too, of, 100%. Yeah, sweet tooth. And it's like you're also human as well. And I just think. It's not, it's probably something you can do like once or twice a season for me anyway. I find I'm better when I sort of, you know, fluctuate a bit. Like it's nice to, to go into a race super lean, but you know, the tour this year, I didn't weigh myself. I just, the, the doctor took the skin folds, you know, on, on the rest day each week. And that was the way that we did it. We knew what my weight was coming in. So then, you know, you still have to fuel as well. And, and, you know, you go to the, the Tour de France, and you can still put weight on very easily, you know, if you start eating a little bit too much. So I just find if you look at your weight one day and it fluctuates, it's like one kilo or so more uh, than it was the day before. It's It also, you know, you're on the river going up a climb and then you're thinking, oh, I'm a, a kilo more today than, than it was yesterday. It's like part of the mind game. So for me, Sometimes it's better just not to weigh yourself, you know. You eat what you have to eat or fuel. It's it's not food in those races, is it, G? It's fuel. Did you weigh yourself after the race? Like when it was finished? Yeah, like maybe two days after, you know, I was I was around 58 kilos. You know, you always bloat, don't you, the, the day or so after. I love the idea that 58 kilograms is bloating. I Honestly, you, meet some of my mates, I could show you some proper bloating. You know what it's like, G? You look at your legs and you've got veins and stuff going everywhere or, or veins through your ribs and it's like you, you don't really need to weigh yourself. You know, you're as lean as you can be, really. Yeah, I think the the thing with weighing yourself is you either do it every day and you kind of get to realise the fluctuations and you sort of realise that, yeah, your body retains water certain days. For instance, like when I was on the track, like we 
spent very little time actually on the bike because we were, you know, we you ride around for two minutes, three minutes, then you get off and then you do it again and then you go home and you come back and you do it again. And I know I noticed if I ate a lot of carbs, a lot of pasta and stuff, and I didn't really like have a good sweat that day, the next day I'd be like kilo, kilo and a half heavier and I wouldn't be able to put out the same power. So I think it's like, everyone's different but i think like for me it affects me a lot more that whole water retention and and that can happen in a in a stage race as well which is crazy really and there's been tours where i've put weight on and you kind of think how do you put weight on like in a race like the tour but you know when you're leading up to it if you're proper dieting which you know i've done before and you're not really having many carbs and then suddenly you go to the race and carb overload because you don't want to blow up you don't want to be oh thanks for riding me for all day boys but yeah i didn't eat enough you know you'd be a right bell ends wouldn't you like <laughs> at least get drops because you can't keep up not because you haven't eaten enough so suddenly then when you're eating all that carbs you can just just put weight on quickly and because you become so efficient as you know endurance athletes like that and i think yeah like richie says the weight is the biggest the hardest thing for me one kilogram just to give people an idea of this because they might not feel a lot of people might not feel a kilogram going on they might not be able to see it in the bathroom mirror but if we were talking about water bottles if we were talking about bidons how many of those extra would you be carrying on your either in your back pockets or on your bike if you were a kilogram more if that makes sense yeah like if they're a normal race bottle and it's full of water yeah two full bidons so basically that bidon that took me out of the giro two of them yeah two of that was those, a yeah. bottle as well the <laughs> bastards <laughs> story for another day it's funny like the you know in, in the, the third week of a grand tour like you just sat there on the bus before a stage just going i'm gonna go home and just nail ben and jerry's and, and you know cabri chocolate it's just like <laughs> i get my wife to just order in you know you have a list yeah pretty have much. a list don't you like i'm gonna go to this restaurant monday and then i'm gonna have yeah. breakfast here tuesday lunch there yeah you sell traction control off and then you know you, <laughs> you you blow it out in two days and you're like actually i need to rein it in a bit here now do you get a little cyclist pot belly as well because the weird thing is if you're as lean as you guys are for most of the time and you don't do a great deal of you do some core stuff don't you but it's not about having massive abs to hold everything in do you find that like after a week of eating what we would describe as normally that you look down in the morning you think oh it's got a little it's a little cheeky pot belly where's that come from yeah yeah I always find when you go to the, you know, you go and have a, a a leak in the middle of the night and you can just feel, you know, you sort of scratch your belly a bit and you're like, geez, that wasn't there like a week ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's weird though, isn't it? Because it's not normal that, like, it's just because it's obviously such a big part of our job, like, especially as a GC rider, like if you're riding the classics or a TT guy, you know, it's not as important, especially or track, you know, track, it doesn't really matter at all because, you know, it's flat and powerful. So it is a weird mindset to be in. Um, and I think that's probably the most scariest thing about when we stop as well. Like, obviously, you're going to get into more of a routine and you won't have that, oh, this is a big blowout now because I'm back on it in, you know, three weeks' time. But, yeah, I'll be interested. Like, a lot of athletes, when they stop, you know, go full Ricky Hatton. When you're on those climbs, right, there's something that always seems very cruel about it because you're all pushing each other as hard as you can. And you all want to make your rival suffer, don't you? And you're really trying to mess with your rivals' minds. You're trying to ruin their days. That's the thing, isn't it? It's just even if you're good mates with someone, it's like, you know, not teammates. It is nice to stick it into G, you know, sometimes. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. That's a bit much, mate. This is a clean pod. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's exactly that, isn't it? Like, I think especially people like me and Richie who know each other really well as well, you can kind of sense when the other one is maybe struggling a bit more or just where they're riding as well like you, riders have the habit of riding in a similar area most of the time and um you can tell a lot from that really like for instance going back to the giro when i crashed on stage three and fractured my pelvis and obviously didn't know at the time but i was like right boys i, I don't feel 100 percent here something's not right but let's ride this as if, as if you know nothing's changed you know i feel great and whatever and we rode you know second team all day and then started to do these little lumps and I was like oh suffering like a dog but I was like right I just got to stay here I just need to bluff my way because if I can get halfway up the climb and then maybe lose time it's better than you know them sensing that I'm weak and, and attacking from the bottom and it's the same thing like I think you know guys like Yatesy for instance both of them 
generally tend to ride at the back even on a mountain you know they don't ride in the top five anyway do they really and then but if you see them suddenly fighting for position and you're like these boys are going to be on a good day and for me there's nothing worse than fighting for position on a climb I don't know how you find it Richie but it's it's nice when you're in a team like Sky where you know everyone is in the line and you don't have to fight with you know you start fighting with sprinters and you know I'm never going to win a fight am I you know the, the same sprinters that are moaning about GC guys being in their way are then fighting and it's like that's part of the problem I find is is having to fight for that position with guys that then explode in front of you anyway so then you have to you're like, yeah thanks mate and then you have to close that gap it's just those silly little efforts that you have to keep making which you know I'm, I'm not taking anything away from you G but from what you've done but it's nice to have numbers on a climb isn't it you know not have to do that initial fight yeah most definitely like even when you were in sky back in the day you know I think it didn't just happen straight away did it like it took two years and we we were fighting and you know we were the joke team almost you know like oh this new British team you know get get to the back like who do you guys think you are oh you're gonna win the tour with a British guy you uh, piss off you know but then suddenly (laughs) suddenly we do it with Brad and then Fumi does it and then suddenly you're allowed almost to do it or you at least don't have to fight as much you know and the same as quick step in the classics you just sort of earn that right I guess and, and like Jumbo now Jumbo have the same thing you know and and it's um, like to the people that say that's boring it's like you can't just program 400 watts into your power meter and, and just sit on the front it's like it's, it's not easy and to get guys that are good enough to do that together to actually do it like that's something incredible from the the sky days yeah and just like dealing with all the egos as well isn't it like it's it's one thing having guys that can do it but guys that can do that are also capable of getting a result themselves so you know i think it's just having that team and that unity that that can actually do that but i think that also gives it a bit of a life expectancy for instance richie you know that's why he decided you decided to leave really wasn't it so you could have your own shot dollar signs (laughs) (laughs) But also your own shot, no? You, like, you wanted that chance to get out there. and Yeah. And it worked. It, it paid off in the end, you know? Like, in my book, actually, I've just done about mountains. I did my top 10 climbers, and I didn't put Richie in it. Oh, that's a right stitch up. Thanks, G. Yeah, you're welcome. But I did say he would he would be in it if he had, he had poged him in the Grand Tour, because he really could have. But he's been one of the most consistent, best climbers around. But because he hasn't made that podium, it's tough to put him in it. And then, obviously... He did it, and then a month later, the book's published, so I look like a right melon. <laughs> we'll change that for yeah. paperback, shall we? Yeah, I wouldn't have come on if I'd have known that, G. Uh... <laughs> well, I've sent you a copy in the post, so I thought oh, I'd break it to you now. Thanks, mate. <laughs> so you know when you're playing poker, there's this idea of a tell, where you can spot by a little physical twitch that your opponent does, or your, your rival does, what they're feeling and what sort of pressure they're under. Is there the same thing on a bike? Like if you were watching Chris Froome at its peak or if you're watching Contador or even if you two are watching each other when you've been on rival teams and you know each other is there a little something that gives away of someone suffering I think if they'd have their glasses off like that was with with Contador he used to take his glasses off and and put them on his on the back of his jersey and sometimes when he's on a bad day you could just look at him in the eyes and see that the spark wasn't there you know you could read him that that was sort of you know that he wasn't all there that day that was probably that's probably the only sign you ever got from that guy because he was just so good it's quite a big sign isn't it i'm surprised he did that to be honest like you think you'd keep him on <laughs> i would yeah me too yeah i always yeah i keep mine on not for that reason but it makes sense doesn't it like you can see somebody suffering see their eyes a lot more you get a better idea don't you but at the same time if it went when you're racing you don't really you you end up in your own world like you you're thinking like, oh, I'm hurting, I'm feeling good, or, oh, there's that many Ks to go, like, and you just this internal voice just about yourself, and you don't really sort of look at others too much. It's only when you're on a really good day that you can actually, you know, sense what's going on around you. It's like in 2018 tour, again, sorry to keep banging on about this. I won that <laughs> tour, you know, Richie. <laughs> we were going up, they're called a port, I think, portet, and Froomey was actually playing some sort of games with Dumoulin and they were at the back of the group there must have only been six or seven of us there's about four or five k to go maybe and then Froomey's on the radio oh, Dumoulin's suffering Dumoulin's suffering speed up he's getting dropped and we were like well I was like well if he's getting dropped at this pace why do we need to speed up 
Like, let's just keep going like this and there's no stress, you know, and we'll try and speed up later on if he does, if he is like right out the back. But, and then he came sprinting round uh, through me and then through me's like sprinting after him, like to the front and they were just messing about like this. And then, you know, a couple of K later, Tom actually attacks and, or Roglic went and Tom followed and Froome was out the arse. So it's kind of like, sometimes it's better just to forget everyone else and just get to the top of the climb as quickly as you can, really. I find, anyway. 100%. So can I ask you a question, G? Fire away. Where did you, where did you put yourself in top 10 climbers in your book? <laughs> I didn't put myself in. I still don't really see myself as a proper climber. Get a few beers in him, we'll extract that out of him, won't we? I think he stick himself in about five, five or six. It's a bit low, mate. Come on. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> a time trailer who can climb, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> well, Richie, we'll, we'll have you back on another podcast. I know you've got things to do today, so thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Come back and join the, the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club again. Cheers, mate. See you later. So this podcast has very kindly been brought to you by our mates at Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Tom, you've conveniently just started your journey with it. Firstly, how are you finding it, mate? And what have you tried out this first week? So in my first Garnet I thought I'd better have a little look round. So I did the London circuit and it sort of freaked me out because I recognised so many bits of London, which is what you'd think would happen. But this is, <laughs> this is my first week on it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I found it nice that when you pull up on someone's wheel, you actually get a little toe, don't you? You get just the resistance drops off like you're actually in someone's slipstream. You do, yeah, very handy, especially when there's quite a lot of riders in front of you. Now, I do have a couple of questions, though, right? Is it normal when you start on Zwift to try and steer around the corners? Uh, I can't say I really did. I might have a little lean, but um, I kind of realised that it was just a, a computer game, really, and it's all on the TV, but um, I'll let you off. The other thing that's freaked me out, because my last turbo trainer, I got second-hand off a mate in 2005, and it's one of those ones which sounds like a washing machine on a full spin cycle. So to get on a smart trainer and when obviously the road's going up on Zwift and the resistance is changing, that freaked me out again because I thought, oh no, I've done something wrong. It's going to break. <laughs> yeah, that is a bit of a, a bugger actually sometimes, isn't it? Um, can I say bugger? Yeah, Gene, this, this is our club. I'm the chairman. It's got your name on it. We say what we want, can't we? Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so if you fancy boosting your own fitness with monthly training plans, structured workouts, and when we get our asses in gear, joining us on weekly group rides, just go to Zwift.com and start your free trial. Yeah, Tom, those group rides sound uh, something the chairman should do, don't you think? Gee, you leave it with me. I've got this one. Quality. So, Gee, we talked a bit with Richie there about some of the big climbs that you guys do on the continent. I think we should talk about British climbs as well. I know you stuck something on social media the other day asking people about their favourite climbs in Britain. But let's talk about what these climbs are like, because the continent, yeah, it's beautiful because these climbs are long and they take you to snowbound peaks and all the rest of it. But there is something about a British climb, isn't there? Like the road surface and the stuff that you see and how steep they are. Yeah, there is. I think they're grippy. The UK has grippy roads, which is good because obviously it rains a lot. And, you know, like Italy, when it rains there, it's so slick and it's just, it's horrible to to race on especially descending where you just yeah it's like an ice rink at times so they're grippy they're also steep they're generally as you say a lot shorter but steep when the tour was in yorkshire at the start that was just incredible like the the scenery and everything like you know you always think of like these climbs you think you know alps pyrenees you know lovely views and but actually in the uk it's it's beautiful as well you know up in the gogs in north wales you know there's some beautiful roads around there especially quiet and can't fault it really it's just a shame i don't actually get a chance to ride there more often really what are your favorite uk climbs there's obviously the bulk and the regos and tumble down in south wales but you lived up in the northwest of england for a long time when you were on the the gb track program so you would have been doing climbs like what home moss and cat and fiddle some of those bad boys yeah yeah cat and fiddle made it into my book actually that was one we did most times we went out on the bike really because it was just geographically where it is that's the first climb we sort of get to out in Macclesfield way and Cat and Fiddle I wouldn't say it's probably one of my favourite climbs but it's one that sort of means a lot and I've got a lot of sort of history with it and we've been through some good and bad moments I guess your favourite climbs are the ones that just have loads of stories about how you overcame you know adversity and 
managed to get up it or like with me and Stanard riding up there in the snow and neither of us this is cat and fiddle now we're riding up there in the snow and neither of us wanted to say maybe we should turn around you know we're both just sort of like <laughs> not egging each other on either just in our heads just thinking oh i'm not gonna be the one to say let's turn back and then we get to the top and then it's like right what are we gonna do now we've got to try and ride down in a load of snow but i'm gonna read out some of these answers that we got on on social media in a moment but was the cat and fiddle the one where you had uh, a difficult moment once where there was some sort of uh some sort of issue with there not being many toilets yeah at the top of the cat and fiddle had a bit of a dodgy belly and yeah there's that pub at the top of the cat and fiddle but it was closed we were up there quite early and um that's an awkward moment and uh i don't think we'd bring that up on the pod actually tom that's quite <laughs> that's quite a personal moment Listen, we're, we're amongst <laughs> friends here if you're in the club you get to know these secrets yeah so i think well i would have thought a lot of guys have um been there you know tom dumoulin in giro fortunately i haven't had to do it in a in an actual race but um yeah not my proudest moment but uh, same thing in it that sticks with you and not not literally luckily literally in your bib shorts sometimes <laughs> if you right let's hear from some of our fellow club members g so susan says from beth gellert to capel keurig steady and consistently stunning scenery you're right there are some absolute beauties up there in north wales aren't there george says butter tubs in north yorks is a fantastic one that was in that uh, Tour de France route as well, wasn't it? He says, not only does it have the best name, it also makes you cry in pain. Lee says, I wouldn't use the word favourite, but I always took delight in defeating Westenden Head and Home Moss in the Peak District. Here's a good one from Claire Hughes. I agree with you on this one, Claire. She says, there's a great little loop from Clangothlin taken in Horseshoe Pass, the shelf and World's End. She says, cuppa and a Welsh cake in the station cafe afterwards, grinning face with smiley eyes. That is a great cafe, that station cafe in Clangothlin. Um, and Horseshoe Pass is a really nice one. You know that the beautiful thing about a climb when you go back almost back on yourself, you go, you're climbing, but you can see where you've come. Yeah. And when it flattens off a bit towards the top, so as you're getting tired, the effort you have to put in drops, and you can just look back and go, yeah, done it. Yeah, definitely. When you can see like where you've come from, like oh, all the way down there, because especially when you're at the bottom and you're like oh, all the way up there, you're, you're joking. And oh then, my god, I can't get there. Yeah. Oh, I have got there. And then yeah, it's great feeling. And um, I've done those. I've done those rides, obviously, and uh, yeah, they are beautiful. So, only trouble is with the UK's weather, but that that adds to it as well, doesn't it? Like it adds to the story. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you if you haven't done a descent where you've got unbelievably hot on the way up, and you're unzipping everything and wishing that you'd not brought it, and then on the descent, it's like you've suddenly stepped into the freezer compartment at Iceland or something, and your fingers are shaking, and you you just do anything for a hat, for for like a nice bath or for a nice fur coat or something. You just absolutely freeze yourself on the way back down. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. And like Richie was talking about with when you see tourists out, you know, well, tourists, you know, amateur cyclists. When we're doing like a recon, say, before the tour and we're riding up and then you see some of them coming down in shorts and jersey and we're going up with a jacket on and everything. We're thinking they must be absolutely freezing. And I don't know how, they, how people do it, to be honest, but I guess you've just got to, haven't you, if... We need to get home. This is the strange thing about sometimes, like for us amateurs, when we see these jerseys, these these cycling jerseys that are marketed to us, and a lot, they'll often say things like, "This is the best warm weather jersey you'll ever ride," and you know when the temperature's up. And I'm just thinking, I'm never going to use that jersey. Why do I want a mesh jersey in the northwest of England? Yeah, very true. Actually, yeah, I'd never um, thought about it like that. They're the only jerseys we want. Luckily, most of the time we go around chasing the sun, don't we? So, hey, should we talk tips for our fellow GTCC club members? Bearing in mind that you've actually won on Alpe d'Huez, let's try and give everyone a little nugget to take away. So if there's one training session, Geraint, that everyone should do to get better at climbing, what would it be? Because I'd sort of assume it would be more climbing, but does that always work? Uh, it's something my father-in-law always asks me, actually, and I just say, just, ped- <laughs> just, just pedal harder. But um, yeah, I think just by riding up climbs, you're going to get better riding up climbs. The more you do, the more efficient, the better you'll feel on them. And I think... Obviously, it's kind of like a virtuous circle, you know, like the more climbing you do, the more riding you do, and so the more weight you're going to lose. So yeah, you know, if you're a pure amateur, I think just maybe try and cut out your croissant for breakfast, have something else, have a bowl of porridge, and then just ride your bike a little bit more, and the benefits will come thick and fast, yeah. What about where you sit on your bike, like where you're sitting in terms of your position on the saddle? Is there a bit more power if you're in one part than another part of the saddle? I think it's different for individuals, but for me, I'm always towards 
the end of my saddle it looks like i'm hardly sitting on any of it i think that's from my track days as well being on the time trial bike you ride a bit further forward but yeah i think efficiency i guess is sitting in the saddle more but you know look at someone like contador one of the greatest ever climbers he's always out the saddle so i think whatever feels best for you the main thing is having a decent position in the first place and um you know as part of our club maybe we could offer that you know a few tips on position send us in your photos but uh nice <laughs> that's more work for you to organize tom oh no what have i said <laughs> um but yeah i think whatever you feel comfortable at really what about the breathing side of it because i find sometimes there's a big climb not far from where i live here in the northwest of england which a lot of people do and they live in in manchester and you probably did when you were living in manchester riding for the british academy which is up brickworks out through pot shrigley so you do the brickworks climb and then you drop down to Kettlesube and then there's another big climb up to Pim's chair. And it's one of those climbs that it starts off with a big ramp at the bottom. So you're in trouble early on and then it, the gradient drops a bit, but not much. So you're out of gears quite early and your breathing is, is quite heavy. Is there anything you can do with your breathing? You know, like in terms of sometimes if you think of a song and the, and the cadence of the song is good for your breathing, you can get into quite a nice little groove. Yeah, I think it's just... Uh like you say get into a groove you know try to focus on your breathing and keeping your upper body still rather than just thinking oh my legs hurt someone said to me once as well just to relax your upper body try and imagine you're playing the piano as well with your fingers um so you're not you know squeezing the bars and like your whole body's tense just try and relax your upper body slightly and yeah focus on your breathing like sounds weird but breathing out as well as in and just get into some sort of rhythm and that that helps like take away the the pain from your legs from time to time. See, I think that the single best way to feel better about climbing is to go out with a mate who's worse at climbing than you. So let's <laughs> say you could go exactly the same pace as you did last time, but if you've dropped your mate and he's laboring and he's, he's rolling all over the place and you're almost trying to do like cut little hairpins on an ordinary British road to make it easy for himself, you feel like a legend. But you could go exactly the same pace with a skinny mate who's gone off the front and you think, oh, I'm terrible at this. Yeah, 100%. That's a, it's all a mind game climbing at the end of the day, isn't it? So uh, that's why I love going out with my father-in-law every now and again, especially in October <laughs> when I'm feeling bad and overweight. So great for the head. Sometimes I think it can really help when you get a, like a good tune stuck in your head. Like obviously, the other side of that is the last tune you hear before you leave the house is an absolute stinker. Yeah. And then you're trying to ride up some horrendous climb with a bit of Dutch techno or achy breaky heart in your head. But a good tune really helps you along, doesn't it? What do you listen to in your house, mate? It's <laughs> quite eclectic. <laughs> I, I'm not starting to ride from your house. Uh, yeah, I think um, oh, whatever tune is stuck in your head is a bad one, I find. Even if it's your favourite song, like by the end, if it's got a three-hour ride, three hours of the same song in your head is just horrific, so... Tor Burgos, it's that song, you know, he never washes up, he never cleans up. A bit of a, yeah, a bit of a Alicia that Dixon. Song, I don't know what song it is, but oh my, that song was in my head the whole, every stage <laughs> basically. And I'd pass Swifty, Ben Swift, who uh, started riding with him when I was like 12, you know, and he was in a different team at the time. And we just used to ride past each other singing the same song. And for those five days of that race, that's the only song that was in our head. Like it just, it was on repeat at the start line. And the finish every day it was just horrific. Brilliant. Well, we've now got our official song for the GTCC. It's The Boy Does Nothing by Alicia Dixon. Nice one, G. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting me know who it was as well. I had no idea. Right. Remember that question I asked you at the start? I want you to pick a single climb that you give your mortal enemy to ride for eternity. Which one is it? Right. I'll tell you how I came to it first. So I was thinking it needs to be relatively short because it means they just got to do it so often, you know, at least with a long <laughs> So there's climb. boredom as well. Yeah. Yeah. So ideally no real views. Oh, cruel. Yeah. Ideally bad weather. Yeah. Because this is my mortal enemy. Like he is a absolute numpty, isn't he? So yeah, he's a, he's a massive bellend. Like, he's awful. <laughs> bad weather. Yeah. So it has to be in the UK. I'd like it to be in Wales because, you know, I'm Welsh, isn't it? So I can always, it's easy to go up and see him and say, ha, enjoying this climb. <laughs> uh, so there's a climb in Harlech, which is in up in the Gogs. I've never actually done it, but it was named the world's steepest climb earlier in, was it 2020 or maybe 2019? It was, yeah. And it was in like the Guinness World Record book thing. So yeah, I think it'd be that climb. It took it, because I don't understand that though, because... That road's obviously been there for 
a very long yeah, time. Yeah, why is it suddenly the steepest? Yeah, how does it suddenly get like recognised as that? Because it took it off somewhere in New Zealand, didn't it? Yeah, there's a road in Dunedin. Like, everyone who goes to Dunedin goes to this road. I remember going to it and trying to run up it thinking, yeah, this will be a laugh. And that lasted about 20 paces. <laughs> but I think people who live on that road get really annoyed because it's just an ordinary little quiet road in Dunedin. But it's weirdly the busiest road in Dunedin because everyone goes there. Yeah, big tourist attraction. But saying that, once this road in Wales took the record, apparently all the Kiwis were like kicking off about it. Like They were really upset that they lost that record. Yeah, yeah actually, you're right, G. I've just looked this up. The criteria for the record, so the street has to be a public thoroughfare. What does that mean? It's basically you got you can use it as a memory, so it can't be like in your back garden. Right, yeah. It's got to be a road, public road, fully surfaced. Yeah. And have buildings alongside the carriageway. That seems a bit vague. Like how many buildings? Yeah, and what type of building? There's not many buildings in the big alpine climbs, are there? Like Shepherd's Hut occasionally. Yeah. Cattle shed. Yeah, I'm not sure about these criteria. But anyway, at the moment it's Harlech, and that's where your mortal enemy is climbing for eternity. So, Tom, it was your idea to end each pod with any other club business. It's week one of the club. What possible business could we have to discuss? Yeah, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there. There is no business to discuss because this is week one. I think when we're up and running, this will be like a weekly newsletter, won't it, for our members? But there's nothing for now unless you want to be our member of the month. Like, it's you or me. It's got your name on the above the door. Should be you, shouldn't it? <laughs> I'll happily take that, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, so listen, when you listen next week, there'll be loads of news to fill this section. I might even come in a proper chairman's outfit, who knows? And if you, our loyal members, have any club business that you want us to attend to, or you just want to shout out, get in touch. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or email us at gtcc at crowdnetwork.co.uk. Episode one, complete, Tom. Nice one, G. See you next week. So that was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Now, usually on a podcast, you read out a list of credits and people to thank. Now, obviously, we haven't really filled many positions. So for now, thanks go to Geraint Thomas for being Geraint Thomas, to me for reluctantly stepping up as our chairperson, to our producer, Louise Gawilliam, to our head of music, Emma Hickman, our treasurer, Diane Barker, and our honorary president, Mike Carr. And to you for listening. More credits to come as we fill more positions. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. <laughs>